Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with the theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Katrina Bowden, who, among her 40-plus TV and film credits, has two of my favorites, 30 Rock and Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. She's also been in a bajillion episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful, has a new movie coming out called Great White, which is a serious thriller. It's actually a little bit different from the comedic role she's normally given because, as we discussed, She's looking for more challenging things as she uh, gets into her 30s. She wants to really go home at the end of the day and and feel good about, about what she's done and feel challenged, feel fulfilled in this amazingly intense industry. She was an absolute delight to talk to. So now let's get straight into it. Everybody, please enjoy this episode with Katrina Bowden. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today's guest you may remember as Suri, Liz Lemon's seemingly clueless assistant on 30 Rock or maybe Allison in one of my actual personal favorite movies, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. She has literally dozens more TV and film credits, including Ugly Betty, New Girl, Scary Movie 5, Sex Drive, and Dirty John, and at the time of recording now, has been on 217 episodes of The Bold and the Beautiful, and is now starring as Kaz in a brand new movie called Great White, which just came out on July 16th. Katrina Bowden, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Thank you for having me. Wow, what an intro. You're very welcome. I, sh- I shortened it because your career is has just exploded. It was like you came out of nowhere in, in uh, 2006. Uh, and that's actually kind of where I want to start with the whole thing is because um, that's you were on 30 Rock. That started in, in 2006. And that was right when you turned 18. I don't know if that was coincidence or not. Yeah. But did you have any clue um, that this was the direction that your life was going to take? Because you were into modeling beforehand, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I hoped that that's the direction my life would take. I didn't know if it was going to happen or not. Um, I was modeling and and doing commercials and taking acting classes all through high school. And um, I, I didn't. I knew I didn't want to go to college. I knew I really just wanted to pursue acting. Uh, but you know, that's, that doesn't always work out for most people. So I was ready to go to college and, you know, do the whole thing. I was going to go to school for acting and I was super excited about that too. But then 
when I was 17, about to go to college in New York City is when I booked 30 Rock. Um, and it all happened really, really fast. And it was a week before I was supposed to go to college and start uh, that I found out I booked the, the job. And I was like, well, I guess I'm not going. So it all it all happened really, really fast. And um, and yeah, so I was, I was I always hoped it would go this way. I knew that's what I wanted to do from a pretty young age. Wow. So literally you, you were like packed up, ready to go a week. Like the whole college thing was your future. And then well, like how much, how much, how much auditioning had been happening up until this point for 30 Rock? So I, well, I wasn't really packed up. I mean, I, I was excited to go to college if I had to, but I didn't really want to. So I hadn't even packed anything yet. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I had a week left and I was kind of like putting it off to the last second. And, um, and at this point I had auditioned for 30 Rock back when they were casting the pilot, which was like a year before, and I didn't, I didn't get the part. And then, um, I got this audition sent to me and I was like, wait, I recognize these sides. And it turns out that they were recasting the character. And I was like, Oh my God, I remember this. I really liked it. So they brought me back in. I was a little older at that point. And it happened within the, like I read with casting and then I read with Tina Fey like two days later. And then two days later, I was at the table read for the show. So it was, wow. it happened so fast, uh, which is really un- unusual. Like usually uh, the process of casting a TV show takes so long and it's like pulling teeth at certain points. But uh, this was really, really fast. Do you ever, did you ever find out what happened to the the original person? Are we allowed to know um, that? <laughs> Well, I mean, you're not allowed to know I was recast. It's everyone, you know, it's, it's public information. But um, no, I don't. I don't know what happened um, to her. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. And well, that yeah, you're right because the casting and the reading and then the table read—that's all. That's such short notice, and and then mm-hmm. just shot out of a cannon because you just look like I said at the beginning. The, the credits literally, I think, over forty credits, right? And and mm-hmm. in the relative scheme of of being an actor you haven't been doing this all that long. And mm-hmm. so now you've got yeah. major motion pictures and TV and how, you know, hundreds of episodes of Bold and the Beautiful, which mm-hmm. could be a lifetime gig for a lot of people, right? Yeah, so, totally. So now you've got all these choices and all these all these opportunities that I suspect are presented to you all the time. And, and so come bring this to Great White, right? This new, brand new movie, just released, and I, 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 there were jumpy moments. I watched it. I've seen it, and I, I jumped, and it was phenomenal and beautiful, by the way, because I want to get into some Thank of you. the filming, because it was you actually mm-hmm. filmed some of it down in, in Australia. All of it in Australia. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah all so, of it. Some was in a studio, some, some was indoors, some was outdoor on the beach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but how did you, how do you approach these these roles when it comes to where you want your career to go now because where you started at 18 and before that at modeling right and then going into tv in at 18 and then adding movies to it and i feel like tucker and dale versus evil in my opinion was yeah so beautiful such a great movie (laughs) but when you choose the projects that are presented to you what are you looking at and then like why now something like Great White because you're you 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 do you do comedy very well and this is not that. 
Well, thank you. Yeah. I, um, well, I mean, I, I love comedy. I definitely did a lot of comedy for while I was on 30 Rock, just because at that time that was what was being presented to me. And I love doing comedy, so I'm always down for it. But I think after doing so much comedy for so many years, I really wanted to focus on doing things that were challenging and different for me. So um, projects that were a little bit more dramatic or more genre films, just to kind of do like stick my hand in, in different things and, and, and try something that was different. Um, I always like a challenge. So whenever I take on a role, I, I want to do something I haven't ever done before. So when Great White came, um, came to me, I never done a shark movie. I mean, I've done some j- genre and thriller and horror movies in the past, but nothing quite like this. And I really, really just loved the script so much because it's not like your standard shark movie where it's all about the blood and the guts and the gore and the jump scares. I mean, there, there is that, of course, because they're, you know, mm-hmm. you have that in a shark movie, but it, they really focus on those like quiet, suspenseful, tense, isolated, helpless moments in between, which really uh, attracted me to the script. And uh, they, they focus a lot on the, the script and, the script and the director, Marty, focus a lot on the characters and making them really layered and interesting so that you actually care about the people that you're watching. And so a lot of, I think, the best moments in this film to shoot and to watch were those like those quiet, helpless moments. Because it's like, if you were stuck in a raft in the middle of the ocean, you would have tons of those moments where you just don't know what to do because there is nothing to do. It wouldn't be all excitement at all at, at every turn so and i think that also like having those those scenes in there really do really made those big jump scare scary moments that much more impactful because you never knew when they were coming oh i totally agree i i was going to actually say that that the moments i think some of my favorite moments were not the shark sharky moments not the jump scares but like the moments between you and your co-star aaron jacobenko mm-hmm. the the two of you just amazing, amazing uh, scenes together. But the two of you really like had a connection that brought for, that brought this movie, I think, a realism that a lot of, like you were saying, the other horror flicks um, don't particularly do so well or don't have at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we really, really wanted to create that chemistry on screen. And we really wanted to make sure that everyone cared about our characters and that our characters were different enough from each other, um, yet really re- uh, relatable so that so that it really, you know, you, you would care about them and you would be rooting for them and you wanted them to stay together and, and survive and, and all of that. So we really focused on that a lot, um, he, he and I. And we spent a lot of time together just to get to know each other because, the, you know, the, the better that you know your castmates, the, the the more you have that, that fun chemistry on set. And I think that we really, we were able to create something really special with these two characters in the movie. How often, I guess, relating this to, to theater and Broadway, which a lot of my audience is, um, which in that, in that sort of scenario, the rehearsal process, the, you have table reads, you have workshops, and then you have workshop two, and then you have workshop three, workshop four, right? And then you have mm-hmm. out of town, and then you have, you know, yada, yada, yada. <clears throat> it, it becomes this multi-year buildup if you get to Broadway. But TV and film is much different. And so I, it's interesting to me that you just said you actually spent time with Aaron uh, one-on-one beforehand to, to get to know him, to get to know each other, just because I... I, I guess I take for granted in the film, I mean, in, in theater, how, how much that comes naturally. But 
when you're approaching this sort of stuff from a TV and film perspective, you might have somebody come on for like a day, you know, a single role during the day or something. Yeah. They're on set for a couple hours and you're supposed to be uh, intimate in one way or another, right? Maybe you you hate this person. They're a distant family member or it's some sort of other chemistry. And you just have to flip this switch. That's got to be... I don't know, near impossible, which is why you're, you know, why the good people get, keep doing this, obviously. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it's definitely super fast paced and you, sometimes you don't really know your co-stars and all of a sudden you have to pretend like you're in love with them or you hate them. Like, like you said. So I, I mean, with this movie, our director wanted us to all really get to know each other well. So he uh, had us all come out a couple weeks early before we actually started shooting so that we could do a few different table reads, really like run scenes together and just get to know each other and just chat about our characters so that we could really be on the same page and just have that the, like that familiarity with each other and with what each person is going to bring to the table beforehand without without overdoing it or overworking it um we wanted to have that spontaneity there on on set but um i thought that was super important especially for this movie because you know in most film and television you're not stuck with the same people in a very small confined space for the entirety of the shoot <laughs> but with this movie we're either on the seaplane or the raft and it, you know, you can't really, if you don't like the people that you're working with, or you don't really all genuinely get along, it's going to come across on screen in not so good way. So uh, we were really lucky because the whole cast, we just really liked each other and we just had a lot of fun and we were all really game for anything because, you know, in a movie like this, you're in the water, things go wrong. It's, you know, it's not the most glamorous type of shooting environment at all times. So it was, I felt really, really lucky to have such great actors who were, just down for anything uh, on this on this movie because I think if we didn't have that it wouldn't have it wouldn't have turned out the way it did. Yeah, I, it worked. It worked. And I have one logistical question that mm -hmm. I've never I've always wondered this. I never asked it. But in the this is a stupid question. <laughs> but when you when you're out doing a, a, a movie like this where you're supposed to be on a raft in the middle of nowhere in the sun for hours and hours and hours when you're actually outside, not in the mm -hmm. studio, not protected. How do you like? I was looking for for signs of actual sunburn throughout the whole movie, <laughs> and I couldn't find it. How how do you keep like? Is there uh, do you do you have a something on top to actually block the sun while you're shooting? Like, how does that work? They, they had certain flags that like are on like sea stands um, that they put in the water to protect us from, from sun. But some shots you can't have that. Like some shots yeah. they had to be a little bit wider, and they had to and they actually had to have a lot. They used most like all natural sunlight for all the outdoor sh shoots. And actually, the majority of our shooting was outside. We had a studio, like one week in a studio, but that was it. Um, mm. So the majority was outside in, in the heat, in the sun. And it was just the combination of, you know, our grips having really good flags to protect us, umbrellas that we would put up in between takes, and um, our hair and makeup department just basically hosing us with sunscreen at every single moment. So uh, that <laughs> combination seemed to work pretty well. But we all got pretty tan on that shoot, I, I will say. Just yeah. the, the endless being outside in the sun will do that to you, especially in well, Australia. Let's take, oh, I, yeah, absolutely. I want to take this back to Wyckoff, New Jersey now, which, oh, gosh, of course, yeah, yeah which yeah. is where you were, where you were born. Mm -hmm. And that's basically as much information as I could find about you prior to to eighteen. And and please, at any point, stop me if any if you don't want to talk about anything because it seems as I'm try as I was trying to research for this episode that you're that you purposely are intentionally uh, that you are intentionally a private person. Um, yeah. And and yeah. so I, I mean, just tell me about 
tell me about what uh, what got you into, I guess, modeling and then the desire to to turn that into something more? Or did acting come first and modeling was a gateway? Like, tell me the, the younger story. Uh, yeah, I, I guess you could say modeling was a little bit of a gateway. I've always just been like a big ham. I love a camera. I've always been that. I was always that kid that if anyone would watch me, I would put on a show, whether it was good or not. Um I never turned down a chance to get my photo taken. <laughs> it was I just that was just how I always was, um, and uh, so being that type of kid, I just really loved the idea of make believe and um, playing pretend, and the idea of acting just sounded like the perfect thing for a person like me. And um, I, you know, when I started modeling, I had had some family friends who had their kids doing some modeling and they were making a lot of money. And as a teenager, I was like, Ooh, I could do something like this and like make money. Like, yeah, sign me up. So that's why I started modeling to be completely honest, just so I could make money, uh, you know, uh, as a teenager. And from there, I also started taking acting classes at the same time and really fell in love with that. And just, you know, discovered how much I loved it and how much I loved exploring, um, you know, my own past and my feelings. And I, I went to these classes in New York City um, with Anne Rattray. I don't know if you're familiar with, with her. Mm-hmm. But, um, she, her classes were like therapy sessions for all of us. And it was all, it was mostly like teenagers and we would all sit around and talk about our feelings and our pain. And uh, as a teenager, you know, it was just like a, pretty vulnerable experience, but I really loved it and looked forward to it every single week. And, um, and so those classes really, really made me fall in love with acting and, and, you know, making myself a a better actor. And I, I still use all of her techniques that she taught me from, you know, that those, those early, early years. And at that point I started auditioning for a lot of commercials, auditioning for little things here and there. I was booking a lot of commercials, but most of them were like kind of like modely commercial type things. Um, and, uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of how I started. I didn't have anyone in my family in the industry. My mom always did theater when she was a kid, but, uh, cause she's always been very much like me. She just loves, you know, the attention and she loves the crowd. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess I, I kind of got a little bit that, of that from her, but yeah, that's, 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 how it all, that's how it all started. We're going to take a short break. Stay tuned for more of the episode. Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online. In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for. Wow. Wow. Okay. So then the, the therapy aspect of this always, as soon as someone mentions that, that's where I go. I love, I love, Mm -hmm. love, love this kind of stuff. And for me, I I think that people are attracted to theater, theater, um, because it allows you to experience 
emotion and and feel empathy without actually going through these situations in real life, right? Like mm-hmm. we we as a as a society, as a species, are storytellers. We're herd animals that love to be together, that love to tell stories. And there are chemical reactions that happen in our brains when we are telling stories. There it's it's the 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 bonding chemicals, the the happy releases of when we're telling these and when we're listening and watching them mm-hmm. and experiencing them. And I I always am, am so curious as to what it is, and it's different for everybody, right? So this is why I ask what it is about the therapeutic aspect of performing that speaks to everybody individually, because everyone's different. For me, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like I need to be told by people that I don't know that I'm good at something. Mm-hmm. Like that's me, yeah. right? So do you, have you ever thought about that sort of? Oh, I have a lot because I, I also, I just love therapy as well. And I find it extremely fascinating. I think that we all just inherently as human beings want to fit in and be accepted and be, like you said, like how, how you feel being, be told that we're doing a good job and that we're good at something and yeah. that we're good. Um, and I think that every single person has trauma that they've gone through. You, I just said, it's just a, a, a given for any person, no matter what walk of life you come from. And I, I think I remember like when I was, when I was a teenager in these acting classes, we would have to find these like traumatic moments to talk about in, in the class. And I remember thinking like, well, my trauma is nothing like that person's. Like mine's not good enough or mine's not as bad. So it doesn't, I don't, I'm not like, why should I even bring it up? It's not valid. But the thing I learned is that every single person has their own version of a trauma that's happened to them. And it's all the same feeling. It's just manifests in a different way, depending on what happened to you in your life. So I think that Mm -hmm. when we, when we see a character on a, on a, on a, in a movie or a TV show that's gone through something crazy, but it it has a similar feeling to us that can relate to something that we went through, even if we don't realize it at the time, it makes us feel more connected or seen. And as, from being seen, then you feel validated, and validation makes you feel like you're not alone and that you're you're not this you know weirdo living your your life differently than everyone else who is living this perfect life. So I think I think that yeah, I think that film and television really does, whether we realize it or not in the moment, create, like really connects us and makes us feel connected to other humans, which is essentially what we're all after. That's, that is very, very interesting. And, and somewhere, somewhere in there, and I, I always have to choose my words. I kind of ranted, so I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love the rants. The rants are perfect. Um, somewhere in there is, 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 Gosh, this is so hard for, for me to to I guess articulate because I choose my words as a cis hetero white presenting person, you know, male. Like the words, things are heard differently. Um, depending, of course, it's we all have unconscious bias, right? And when people have different advantages and different disadvantages going through life, and uh, even going back through. Like the need, the need for validation, right? So there are people who post on, on social media, and people who get in front of the camera or on stage because they need to feel, um, it's it's an emotional need, or sometimes it's a physical need, or sometimes it's, um, I guess, just 
a need, like you said, a need to be validated. And I'm thinking back to uh, a conversation I had um, with Keith Powell, right? Your co-star from 30 Rock. And he was saying that, that, that jokes about him being a black guy at the time were kind of okay and now would not fly. Even though, the, even though that show and the writing team led by a woman who was pushing the boundaries of everything, Tina is just amazing, right? And looking back at 18-year-old, uh, this character of Suri, who's like become sort of this... Uh, is sex object the right term? Because yeah. Because it... it yeah. You, the character wasn't presented. Um, like, you didn't play it that way because you had no clue what you were doing you were just there to to earn a you know earn your money and not care about doing anything yeah so exactly so i guess my question in all of this right is now that you're in your 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 older years now <laughs> i don't know if i'm allowed to say oh uh, god uh, uh, I'm, like, I'm, yeah. I'm 32 32 there you go all right so i was gonna say I like, I, like, I, like, I like i like saying 32 better than older years <laughs> yeah well older than 18 yeah um so yeah, you're in your you're in your 30s now, and looking back on that and how the industry has changed, especially since George Floyd and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and Weinstein and even Scott Rudin here on Broadway, like stuff is different. And do you do you feel differently about being the focus of that kind of of those kind of jokes now um, than you probably than you did previously? And is is this shaping how you're moving forward in your career? Yeah, I think it definitely is shaping how I'm moving forward in my career. Um, how I feel about it then, I mean, it's. I think it's kind of hard to. Um, I don't. I think it's hard to to form a judgment about it now because for for that time, because at that time it was okay, you know, and I didn't like think negatively of it just because it was a different time. I mean, does it make it like totally okay? No, but it was it just different. It was just different. And it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to look back now and get mad at it. in in my opinion, because I mean, I just think that what, like, why waste my time doing that? <laughs> um, because, you know, at the end of the day, like that character was, like you said, kind of like a sex, a sexualized character in, in the show, what, even though it wasn't blatantly, it wasn't like blatantly forced or anything. It just was what the, the character was. Um, and at that time, that was just the norm in comedy. I mean, all every all comedies at that time, that's just that's just what it was. And it wasn't anything malicious about it, really. It just was more okay to do that. And like with, you know, with what you spoke with Keith about, it was like the same type of thing. It just, it just was what it was. And it's kind of sad that that's where we were. And thankfully now we're in a very different world where things are, um, you know, we, we're, we're very, we're more aware of everybody else and everyone's feelings and, and what's okay and what's not okay. And I think that's great. And I think moving forward, it's awesome, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't ever look back and, and get like upset about it, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, the industry is definitely changing in a lot of amazing ways. And uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing like how it continues to go because we've made some pretty huge changes that I think were needed to, had, that needed to be made for a while. Right. 
And I I feel like that also connects to what you said in, uh, near the beginning too of of the roles that you choose now are challenging. There's something of substance. Mm-hmm. It's not just showing up in underwear and being like, "Hey, all right, I'm here," and yeah. now I'm going home. And that was not fulfilling yeah. by any means. Um, and I mean, like, and like I was getting cast as like the same type of character for a long time, and like it was great because I was working a lot and I was getting a lot of experience in the process. But at, the, at a certain point, I was kind of like, "Well, I can play this kind of character in my sleep. I would rather do something." Thing, or I'd like to do other things beyond it so that I can really showcase what I can do as an actor and challenge my, myself and put myself in more difficult roles that made me really dive deep. And that really is what fills me up and makes me happy as, as a person. Yeah, I, I, I look back to on, um, let's say, 20, 2011, you were voted Esquire's Sexiest Woman Alive, which I mm-hmm. feel like is sort of a double-edged sword because on one hand, it's a nice career booster. It's recognition, and on the other hand, it's it literally is is pitting women against each other. I know. <laughs> I know. And like, and the worst part about it is that it was like a voting thing too. So it's right. not only yeah, I know. I mean, it was a, it was an honor, of course, and it was very exciting at the time, and you know, it's a cool thing. But you're right. It's like, but but women have always been pitted against each other for as long as I can remember. So. I guess at the time I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. Well, I think I think where you're like the career your career now is is beautiful and well-rounded and great white is like you said it's it's emotional as much as it is uh, jumpy and and horror flicky and I know I read somewhere that you actually don't like horror were you were you <laughs> trepidatious to watch this when when you saw it? Um, I'm okay with watching the horror movies that I'm in. I don't, I don't okay. I don't dislike horror I'm just such a baby that I get really really scared and I'll it'll keep me up for nights and nights on end Uh, so um it's a little bit easier when I'm in the movie because I'm like okay wait yeah I remember shooting that that's fake that's fake that's fake but interestingly enough having shot horror films it doesn't make watching another horror movie easier for me because everyone says to me like well you shot these like you know it's all fake how can you be scared I'm like I don't know I'm just because they do a really good job it's just scary so uh but no with 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 great way I guess uh no I wasn't scared to watch it I was more excited because I really enjoyed shooting it and I really was curious to see how all of our underwater shots turned out because I had never done anything like that before and I remember it being such a struggle when we were shooting it so I was really curious to see how it all looked and I was pretty pleased when I when I saw it why was it a struggle I I I always wonder how many times you have to like stop and go up and catch your breath and come back down again. So we went through scuba training for this movie. Really? Yeah. So we went, we did scuba training. We had to go, we had to train our our breath holds because we had to hold our breath underwater for long periods of time. And we worked so closely with our stunt team and our diving team, because when we're shooting underwater, obviously your director is not (laughs) underwater with you. He's, you know, up, up on the, on the land with everybody else. So, uh, it was, it was a little hard at times to get the proper notes for what I was supposed to be doing. And underwater, you can't see anything unless it's right in front of you. So my eyeline and hitting my marks and swimming into the right area was a challenge. So there was a lot of times where I had to, we had to choreograph it all so perfectly and practice it a lot of times before we actually shot, just so I knew when I was coming up for air, when I was going back down, how I was moving. Because like I said, you can't really see like where, where you're going. So there's a lot of feeling around and sometimes I'd feel around and hit a wall. So it just, it wasn't like, it wasn't the easiest thing. It's not like shooting on land. So it was, it was challenging. And, and there were also other scenes where I'd have to, um, 
you know, I take a deep breath or I take a, a, a oxygen breath from the rig. And when your lungs fill with oxygen, your body wants to float to the top mm-hmm. of the water. But when we're shooting scenes where we have to be kind of close up or with another actor and you can't really like be moving around too much, they would have to tie weights to our feet to keep oh, us boy. down. Oh, um, that's scary. That's so scary. Scary. And uh, after I did the first time, I was kind of like, oh, I'm a little nervous of this. But uh, after doing it a few times, it just became like second nature and it was totally fine. But yeah, there was just, there were a lot of, little things like that that you don't even realize before you're doing it and you're in it that would be a struggle. I can completely understand that. And just having weights on my feet, period, I would not want to to deal with at all. Um, I want to touch real quick on on the the soap opera side of life Mm -hmm. because I feel with as fast as, as soap operas are written and shot, that that is as much uh, sort of a, a stage production as as yeah. some stage productions. Mm-hmm. So knowing what you know about that and how that feeling is, obviously you've you've been on uh, over two hundred episodes with Bold and the Beautiful, so it's something that you're not walked away from. So it, I assume you like it. Do you want to take that and and ever go to the stage now, or should should we expect you on on a big stage one day soon? You know, before doing Bold and the Beautiful, I I don't think I would have been prepared for a big stage production. But like you said, that the pace at which the show shoots is so insane. And it is kind of like shooting, uh, m- more like shooting a, a theater production than anything else. Mm-hmm. And there's, so yeah, I, I think... I think I could, I think I could do it. And I think I would really enjoy it. I dabbled a little bit in some theater in New York, but not a whole lot. And um, I always had a lot of fun doing it. So I wouldn't say never if the opportunity, if the right opportunity came, I would, I would be happy to dive into something different. It would definitely be a different challenge too. There's uh, countless times when I've heard people uh, say that, you know, they've, They've started in theater and gone TV and film, not the other way around. They didn't. They didn't start the other way. And just the the rush of that applause or finishing the two hour, two and a half hour run, and like you're emotionally just drained at the end of every single show. But it's the most fulfilling and satisfying feeling that that they ever feel, and that's that's addictive. That's what keeps them coming back. Yeah. It sounds so, amazing because w- when you finish a shoot day on a on a movie, no one's clapping for everybody; they're all just getting out of there. So <laughs> it sounds really nice, actually. <laughs> well, let's wrap up here with uh, three closing questions I ask everybody on the podcast. Okay. The first one, very easily, is just what motivates you. Uh, um, telling beautiful, fun, funny stories and. Um, hopefully connecting to people in the process. All right. Then what would you give, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now, starting out down a similar path? Stop caring what everyone else thinks so much. I spent so much time caring what everyone thought about me, especially since I was, um, you know, kind of thrust into this comedy world and I was so young and I felt like I didn't know anything and I felt like I had to be a certain way to impress people. So I, I, um, if I could go back and change anything, I would just have been myself from the very get-go. And that's the advice I would give. 
I like that a lot. All right, so you can take this last question and apply it to any sort of performance medium. If you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, my God. This is so hard. Um, uh, I'm probably going to say um, Sex in the City. Okay. Just because I have seen it so many times and it never gets old. And it's always funny and entertaining. And I was going to say something like Breaking Bad because it's one of my favorite shows ever. But oh, it's a little okay. heavy to have to watch all the time. So I think I would choose something like Sex in the City. All right. I'll take that. And where can we find you online? What are your socials? I'm at Katrina K. Bowden on Instagram. That's where I do mostly everything. I have a Twitter too, but I don't really, don't really go on it much. So it won't be worth your time going over there. But Instagram is where I, I do it all. All right. You can find more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating and a review wherever you are listening now. This has been edited by Well-Rounded Hoodlum Productions. Jukebox the Ghost provided the intro and outro music. And Katrina Bowden provided the wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.